Welcome to Living Word, growing a family that experiences every promise of God. You're listening to another life-changing word from Pastor Jason Anderson. For more information, visit our website at livingwordonline.com. Let's pray and get right into it. Father, I thank you and praise you for this time. Open up our hearts to receive your word. Your word is manna, it's bread, it's practical, and we can use it this week. I thank you, Lord, that your word is also seed planted deep in the good soil of our hearts and produces life in us, changes us, grows us. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Teach us what we need to know and prepare us for what is coming in our lives. In Jesus' name, And we all said amen. amen. You can be seated. This morning, I want to talk to you about a strategy that's in the Word of God to heal a nation, a strategy for our nation. In Joel chapter 2, in Daniel, and the book of Revelations, we see that there is an end-time harvest that happens just before the, the coming of the great and terrible day of our Lord. And you say, well, what's that? what day is that? That's the day that our Jesus returns. It's a great day for us. It's a terrible day for people who do not believe. But before that day happens, there will be a latter rain. That's the prophecy God gave us. We can expect a huge outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There was a former rain. The first rain happened in Acts chapter 2. We've seen little sprinkles since Acts chapter 2 until now. But we have yet to see the latter rain. And with the latter rain, and a, a massive outpouring of God's Spirit upon this planet will come an end-time harvest, multitudes, an influx of souls, of men and women crying out to God, coming into the kingdom of God, and flooding God's house. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. And we might look at, at the decline right now of the world and think, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? But I have good news for you. We win in the end. Can I get somebody to say amen? And I know you are worried about our nation and what has happened. And it looks like, it looks like we're losing. It looks like we're losing on the morality front. And church attendance across the nation is down. Way down. And churches are closing faster than ever before in America. And today, every once in a while, about once a year, the Lord gives me a message, not just for this church, but for the church. It happened last year in August. It's happening again this year, now in October. And so as I teach this message, I want you to know that this is not just for living word, but this message is for the church, and specifically the church in America. And people are afraid, and they are alone and hungry, and people are depressed and can't sleep. In the last two years, we have had to face a pandemic, fear, churches shut down, jobs lost, businesses closed, and our faces hidden behind masks, socially distanced, unable to visit loved ones as they passed. And we have faced quarantines and loneliness, shelter in place, unknowns, lies, misinformation, pastors and churches persecuted and arrested for gathering to worship God. We have faced a crazy election, hate, riots, 
loss, crime skyrocketing. Murder has hit a 26-year high in this nation. Gang violence, death from drug overdoses up 30%. Out of control inflation, economic crisis, shortages. Oh, but church, can I give you some good news? I want to just start with the first thing that I can see. We are still here. Jesus is still on the throne. We are not a people without hope, and our God gets the final word on the matter. Can I get somebody to get excited in this house? But we need a strategy, church. We need a strategy that will work. And, and when Jesus came to the planet in the flesh, it was prophesied that he would save the nation. They were expecting him. The Bible says the government would be upon his shoulders. They were waiting for him to overthrow the Caesar, to get rid of the government, to change everything. But when Jesus showed up to change the nation, he did it with a new kind of strategy, a strategy we had not seen before. His strategy to change a nation was about changing a person. He came to people with goodness and love. And he showed us a strategy of changing not the kingdom of man, but the kingdom of a man's heart. He comes to change a nation by changing the people of the nation one person at a time. Because in his strategy, he changes from the inside out. How did you get changed? Why are you here today? It's because at some point Jesus found you, and when he found you, he came on the inside of you, and there was a coup that happened in the kingdom of your heart as the kingdom of yourself and the kingdom of selfishness was suddenly crucified, and the kingdom of God took its place in your heart, and Jesus took the throne, and the Holy Spirit Spirit came on the inside of you and circumcised your heart. And he began to change you over time from the inside out. You are not the same person you were because of Jesus. This is his strategy to changing the planet, to changing the nation. My dad could fix anything growing up with drywall screws and silicone. Right? It's true. Anything. VCR is broken, Dad. He's like, whoop, whoop, whoop. Silicone. All right, try it now. Sure enough, it worked. We had a microwave that was one of the first microwaves maybe ever built. It was from 1975, probably. And we owned this thing for my entire life. It got so old and clunky that it would spark and smoke sometimes. Dad, it's sparking again. He'd be like, all right, woo, silicone and drywall screws. And he'd open up the door and he'd zoop, zoop, zoop. And I don't know what he was doing, but then he'd close it up and it would work again. But the thing was, is that thing could cook popcorn in 30 seconds. It could do a baked potato in under a minute. There's something wrong with that microwave when he fixed it. I believe it's why that my hair started falling out when I was 17 years old, was that microwave. Listen, we cannot fix America with drywall screws and silicone. And we try what we can, and we should vote, and we do, and we make our little signs, and we do our posts on Facebook, and, we, and we're vocal about how we feel about things, and that's fine, and you're informed, and that's great, and we complain, and we're discouraged, not a good idea. But what we're doing right now is not working. 
And I'm not saying we should forego those things. I'm saying we need a new strategy. And the Word of God bears out a strategy that will work for our nation. And I'm going to show it to you in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Because we've got to stop looking to the, the right. If we get the right political party in power, if we get the right political uh, person, the right political leader is going to save us all. No, let me show you how this works. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, I like the word if, my people who are called by my name. Who? The people of God. Not everybody, but the people who are called as Christians followers of Christ, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and that word there is to get in the presence of God and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Oh, Father, we just lift up this land to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we come together, Father, we are called by your name. And we agree in prayer right now. Father, we pray and lift up our president. We pray and lift up right now our vice president. We pray and lift up right now those in Congress, the Senate, and the House, those who serve. We lift up right now the civic leaders, our governors, our mayors. We lift up to you, Father God, our judges, those who lead in our nation, Father. And I thank you, Father, that right now you would visit them, that, Father, you would become clear to them in the night. That, Father God, if a shaking needs to happen, that there would be a shaking in this place, in Jesus' name. That people would be turned, Father God. That there would be road to Damascus experiences, Father God. That you would lavish your goodness and your love in their life, Father. And that they might turn towards you. Any one of them that needs to turn towards you, that they would, in Jesus' name, heal our land. Amen. Come on and give the Lord some praise right now. When, when I was working as a young man, I worked for my brother in the Burger King. My brother was the manager of the Burger King, and I was one of his employees he hired. And when he would hire new people, we would have a lot of fun playing practical jokes on anybody that was new. And so uh, my brother brought this new girl on once, and then he walked out with this kind of great big chopping knife, and he had a cutting board there, and he was, he was banged on it a couple times. Bang, bang, bang. He goes, we're out of chicken nuggets. Now, the whole staff at Burger King knew what he was up to. He goes, and so we were like, oh, what's he going to say? So he said, well, I need somebody to run up on the roof and grab a chicken out of the coop. Now, keep in mind, there is no chicken coop on the top of a roof of a Burger King. But this is what he said. And so we all go, oh, man, I don't want to do it. And then some, somebody goes, well, why don't we send up the new person? The new person always has to do it, right? This guy goes, yep, let's send up the new girl. Tanya, come here. We need you to go up on the roof and get a chicken. She goes, I don't know how to get a chicken. He says, it's easy. Just go up there, open up the cage, grab the chicken, bring it down. It's fine. Go up the ladder. So there was a ladder. So she goes up. She's gone for like, no, I know, this is horrible. We became pastors. How crazy, right? God's like, yeah, them. So, so she's 10 minutes, she's gone. She comes back down. You would think the joke's over, but not with us. She's like, I can't find any chicken coops. Scott's like, oh, can you, can you just look harder? It's behind the air conditioners and the air handlers up there. Just go up there again and find me a chicken. Just bring back, you can hear the chickens. And she's like, okay, I'll go look again. Off she goes. This is terrible behavior, but we were laughing so hard. Here's the problem I believe in America right now, is that we are looking the wrong direction. We are up on the roof looking for chickens, trying to fix our nation. You are looking in the wrong direction. Chickens ain't going to save you, and where you are, you've got to turn. What did he say? He said, I want you to turn from your wicked ways. We're looking, see, the wicked way there in the Hebrew, the, the, the Hebrew word that's used, it means you're not looking at God. 
Right? Anything that's not looking at God is, we got to turn back to God. He's like, turn, I'm over here. God's like, I'm over. Yeah, but we need help with our nation. He's like, I'm over. But I'm looking at my wicked ways. I'm looking upstairs for a chicken. I'm looking at my fear. I'm looking at my, the Bible says the, the word that's used there is affliction. I'm looking at my pain. What am I? I'm looking at my, at the, the problems that are happening. I'm looking at my regrets. I'm headed towards my compromises again in my life because they band-aid my pain. And God's like, these things are not going to help your nation at all. I'm over here. Turn around to me. Look at my face. When we need to look at God, what we're saying is, is I'm humble because I'm humble because I can't fix this nation. When we, we need some humbleness in this, in this church right now, in the Church of America. We don't know what we're doing. We look at the mess and we go, Lord, I don't know what to do. It's not like we're headed towards uh, the iceberg. It's like we hit the iceberg. <laughs> Father, help us. That's prayer. That's humble. God, I don't know how to fix this. But I know that what I've been looking at hasn't been working. So let me turn from that old way and let me look at you, Father. Turn. And that's humility. It's impossible, Pastor. We need a miracle. I know. But we serve the God of miracles. What we need is revival. We need the outpouring of the Spirit of God to awaken this nation, to flood this nation and every church in, the, in, in this nation back to God. And maybe you're arguing with Ted. You know Ted. Ted's got the wrong political view. He doesn't vote for the right political party. He's always on the wrong issue. And so you're having an endless debate with Ted. And you're owning Ted, man. You're right on every point. You got the data. You're, you're totally crushing Ted. And Ted has no answer. But the reality is when you're done beating Ted up politically, Ted didn't change. Nothing changed about Ted. All the endless debates are not helping. I'm not saying to be silent. But what I'm saying is, is there is another way. And, it's, and so Jesus is saying this. He's saying, instead of turning Ted towards the right political solution in your mind, why don't you turn Ted towards me? Because if you get Ted to look at me, I can take over his heart and I can change him from the inside out. And when you post online about a political view, you will face persecution. But when you post online about Jesus, you will also face persecution. I'm saying, why don't we face the persecution that matters? Post about our Jesus. Let's fire up this nation about God because he can heal our land. It's going to take some humility. It says, if my people who are called by my name, the believers. I coached a soccer team, and they were ages six and seven. I've coached many soccer teams. As all my kids came up, I coached for Katie and Christian. I coached for Matthew. I coached for Logan. When I was coached for Logan, I've got years under my belt of coaching young kids soccer. We teach them as we go out into practice, you know, the passing and the formations and things. But when the game's on, the kids and me, we want to win. And so I don't do the spread out and pass the ball and strategy with the kids. They're six and seven years old. Here's what I do with six and seven-year-olds. Come here, kids. And the game's about to start. Is this true, Logan? I would say, here's the ball. Can you say ball? And they'll go, ball. I say, now kick the ball in that goal right there. All of you. Look at me. Every one of you. The goalie's like, uh, me too? I'm like, yes, goalie. I want the goalie. I want all of you. I call this mob ball. This would not work among adults, but when you're six and seven years old, 
this totally works. And the other team all spreads out and they're trying to pass the ball. But my team, just the entire mob, we just like a bulldozer. We're just coming at you. Every single player is just coming at you. And we just eight to zero, nine to zero. We're crushing the parents of the, of the other team. They're upset. The coaches of the other team are like, your guys aren't even playing a position. I'm like, I know, but we're winning. Well, one day we're playing a club team. If you don't know what a club team is, these club teams are kind of like set teams where they take all the best players and parents pay special dues every month. And that team goes from league to league. No matter what league, they stay together. And they get better and better as the years go by. They're impossible to beat club teams. But we were beating tons of club teams. There was one club team in particular that was the second last game of the season. And this team went up. I'd never seen that happen before with my mob ball. But suddenly they were winning. The other team was. And I was like... Well, so I look up, I'm like, how did they get a goal? We, they, no one ever beats us. And I look, and my players are scattered around the field. I got three kids sitting in the grass, playing in the grass. You know how kids do that? They're six, they're six years old. They're like, they're just playing in the grass. I got a kid standing over looking at his mom. He's got his mom. He's looking at his elbow. He scuffed his elbow. He's like, mommy, and my elbow. I got kids everywhere. I'm like, what are you doing? So I call time out, time out. Regroup. And so we huddle. This is what I'm talking about today is that the people of God need to regroup. We got people who are believers who are no longer playing the game. They, got, they stepped out of the army. They got out of the body. They're somewhere on the field playing in the grass or showing their mommy their little elbow. I got hurt in church. I got so hurt. Look at my elbow because I'm, I'm, I'm mad at the church and I got out of the game. And so what we got to do is we got to regroup. So he said, if my people who are called by my name. So what he's saying is he's not a person. This is not going to happen because a person does it. This is going to happen because my people do it. It's going to take all of us, the entire team. We can't have players on the field who are sitting down. We can't have players on the field that are off the field. We need everybody to regroup because I got them all back together. And I said, come here. Here's the ball. They're like, yeah. Take the ball and put it in the goal. They're like, okay. I said, no more playing in the grass. No more showing people your owies. You're in a war. Let's win. Boom. They go out there. Boom. Score, 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 score. We win the game. Come on. Give the Lord the praise right now. But I'm not talking about soccer. I'm talking about the church. And so that's why the, the, the wedding banquet master of the banquet said, go out there to the servants and compel them to get in my house. And so we're talking right now about the believers, believers who love God who fear God, but don't go to church anymore. So, so it's not you, because you're here. But it's, there are people. And so if we, we listen, we love you. We need you. We've got to regroup. We need all the people. And 100, there was 120 in the upper room, all gathered together, united in prayer. That was probably all of them. After the crucifixion, there was probably 120 believers left. But they all were together. It's going to take us all. And I know you've been discouraged. And I know you've been hurt. But we need you back in the game. We are in a war. We have to have every soldier right now. We need every Christian believer in America to flood every church in America every single week. Because we've got to regroup. We've got to come together. If my people who are called by my name... Praise the living God. I see these essays sometimes on, on uh, these postings, sometimes on, on social. It'll say, three reasons why I left church and I'll never go back. And what I'm saying to you as believers, well, this is the assignment I'm giving us. 
is that we need to be writing essays that say five reasons why I came back to church and why I'll never leave again. We need to have a different message that pulls every believer back into God's house. There's a story of Elijah, great prophet of God, and the whole nation of, was falling apart. They were in famine. There was poverty everywhere. It was a mess. They were being ruled by the wrong king and the wrong queen. And Elijah had a plan to turn the hearts of the people back to God. And so he gathers all the people together, as many as he can get, and he puts on a contest, just him, him against the entire nation, really. And he says, we're going to build two fire pits, right? There's a fire pit for your, your false god, Baal. And then there's a fire pit for my God, right, Elohim. And so I want you to call fire down on your fire pit from sky. And if, if it falls, then you're God's God. But if it doesn't fall and fire falls from my God on my fire pit, then my God is God. And that's the God we will all choose to worship. So the whole nation agrees to this big contest. Sure enough, no fire falls on Baal's fire. But upon Elijah's fire pit, the altar, fire fell from heaven. God showed up. And the Bible says they, they got rid of the prophets of Baal and everything looked like it was good. But here's the interesting thing. The nation continued to worship Baal. It didn't work. Nobody changed. They saw fire fall from heaven by our God and they did not change. So Elijah's so mad about this. He runs out into the wilderness. He's so upset. Hides in a cave. And so God's like, what are you doing? So then he starts to yell at God. This is what he says to God. I have been very zealous for the Lord, like me. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. It's just me, God. And they seek to take my life. And this is part of God's response. God gives them an assignment. And then God says this to Elijah. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. And so my question is, where were they? Why weren't they at the event? You see, it, couldn't, it can't be changed by one. There's too many missing. There's too, when you look at the percentages of people who believe in God and believe His Word, and you look at the percentage of people who are grouped up and in God's house praising and worshiping Him and assembled together in prayer, there's a huge difference. It's too many believers not in God's house. In Acts chapter 2, they were all together. We need us all together. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1 is a very similar story. You can go there now. Very similar story. It's the same story, really. Except for Elijah, it's Solomon. Solomon is dedicating the temple to God. And all the priests are there. And all the people are there. And all the believers are there. And as, as Solomon's doing this, he's dedicating the temple to the Lord. It says this, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven. Same story, isn't it? And consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Here's where the story changes. And the glory, say glory, of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. When all the children of Israel now were out to the people who haven't been worshiping God, when all the children of Israel saw how fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, he is, his mercy endures forever. This is a nation changed. And when the nation changed, they had the most prosperous years, 40 years of peace and prosperity that they had ever seen in the history of that nation. Why? Because they were all turned towards God. Why did the revival happen there and not with Elijah? Because everyone was present. 
We need every believer. There is no, listen to me, you can pray, that's powerful, that's amazing. And listen to how what it says, it says, I have 7,000 reserved, right? They were on reserve. We don't need you on reserve, we need you in the game. We don't want you sitting on injured reserve or the bench or you're preserved in some bottle or something. We want you in the game. And we need you in the game because we are in a war. And listen, there was glory when they were all assembled. There can be no glory without assembled prayer. If we want to see the glory, we got to come together and do this thing. Somebody say amen. Pastor, I don't need church. But church needs you. We need you, man. You're powerful. We need you, woman of God. We need you in God's house. But church is broken. We're broken because you're the missing puzzle piece. Well, I just wish church would visit the prisons more. You're supposed to be in the church visiting the prisons. That's your passion. We all have a place and a, a part to play in the body of Christ, but we can't have parts of the body not there. We need everybody together. Joel chapter 2 and verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion. When the church blows the trumpet, Zion's the church, it calls all the army together as one man. Whenever they blew the trumpet, it was an assembly together because we are at war. I'm blowing the trumpet this morning, praise God. The Living Word Bible Church is blowing the trumpet. Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. We got to regroup, man. We need every single person to regroup in the, in the 1700s and in Europe, they had decided that, that tomatoes were poisonous because, because they were, they, the data showed that people were dying of eating tomatoes. So they got rid of tomatoes in, in 1700s in Europe. This is a true story. Well, we know later, years later, what we found out was tomatoes are very acidic, and the acid from the tomato was bringing up the lead that was in the plate. And they were dying of lead poisoning, not of tomato poisoning. Right? Listen, the church is the tomato. <laughs> and, and, and so the world and other believers are blaming the church for the problems in the world. You're saying, oh, it's the tomato. That's the problem. The church is not the problem. The world is dying, but it's not the church. We are not the reason they're dying. We're the solution to life. Come on, somebody. The church will be the centerpiece of the revival that happens in our nation. And while the world and Satan keep pointing at the church to divide people, see believers, we are fragmented between ourselves, divided against each, against each other, and Satan and the world are doing this and they're laughing at us because we divide over everything. Anything we don't agree on, now we're divided. We're gonna, churches don't play together nice. And then, but, but then believers leave churches, and the church is the reason. I, I saw the other day, mega churches are the reason that, that, that there's, there's, there's morality problems in our world. And I saw a great leader on uh, YouTube, on a very prominent uh, YouTube channel, and he said, the reason that we're having moral decline in America is because of church. And I thought, what are you saying? 
You're just causing more believers to back out of church. The Bible is so clear. To be in God's house every single week, forsake not the gathering, and then we divide over silly things. Well, I don't, that, person, that pastor's not my cup of tea, so therefore they're sacrilegious, they're heresy. I'm not going to listen to them. Any. We got to stop falling for the world's temptation to divide against each other. If that church believes in Jesus and that pastor's preaching Jesus and you believe in Jesus, we can stand under one flag, the banner of Jesus Christ, and say, you're my brother, you're my sister. I don't have to agree with you, but I can stand with you and I can fight for our nation. Come on, somebody. Really? The church is the reason for the moral decay of America? You're joking, right? Have you looked at Hollywood lately? Have you watched TV? We're not going to blame the drug dealers. We're not going to blame sex traffickers. We're going to blame Joel Osteen. Are you joking? You're joking, right? But this is what the world's doing. And they're laughing at us as we separate over stupid things. But no more. We're regrouping, and we're not... So, so I want to take you right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as I get ready to close. A kingdom divided cannot stand. And in, in 1 Corinthians, the church of Corinth was dividing like crazy. They were dividing about which pastor they liked. They were dividing about uh, whether food sacrificed to idols or not. And, and Paul was so upset about all the endless debates about the things that were dividing. He, it was in this book of the Bible that he said, let there be no divisions among us. That's what he was saying. And so uh, he says this, though. I want to get to this. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Say discerning. Verse 30. For this reason, many are weak and sick and among you and many asleep. See, one of the reasons the the church of America has fallen asleep, okay, and that there's many weak and sick among us. What I mean is sick means the healing's not working. The power's not working. We have the power, but it's not working. And not in this church. We see all kinds. We're ankle deep in miracles around here. I'll tell you, it's been amazing. But, but across America, you go, well, where's the power? Why is the church asleep? But he, he gives you the reason the church is asleep here is because you're not discerning the body. Say discerning. He said the reason that you're... He's saying that the miracles that are happening in Ephesus, the miracles that are happening in Galatia, they're not happening in Corinth. And let me tell you why. It's because you're not discerning each other. You keep separating over all these silly things. You're separating because of income brackets, right? They wouldn't eat together because, well, you're poor and we're the rich. We're not going to eat together. And they were separating over cultural backgrounds. Well, you're from there and we're from here. But are we not doing the same thing today? Are we not finding the same things happening today where we separate over silly things? So he says it's because you're not discerning the body. So what does discern mean? Discern means to identify, recognize, and receive. Identify, recognize, and receive. The body. Who's the body? We are. We're the body of Christ, the people. So he's saying you're not identifying, recognizing, and receiving her or him. What do you mean I'm not identifying, recognizing, properly identifying? You're calling him rich, and you're calling that one over there poor, and therefore you're saying that's not a proper identification. That's a fleshly identification. You're saying, well, that person's from this culture, that person's from this culture, so they're separate. They're different people. And Paul's saying, no, 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 stop identifying by the flesh. I want you to identify the way God sees that person. How does God see that person? Well, God sees her as mighty in the land. God sees her. What does God say about her? She's righteous and holy, and that her effective prayer availeth much. That when she opens her mouth, there's Jesus on the inside of her, and power is going to come out. So what am I doing? I'm identifying and recognizing what God has done in her life and who she is in Christ. And so we, we point out each other's faults, but stop that. Instead, look at what God says about her and what God says about him. Now I'm discerning the body. See, when Jesus came to his own hometown... 
the Bible says he could do very few miracles there, but it was because they did not identify and recognize him as the Messiah. They identified him and recognized him according to the flesh as a carpenter. But because of that, there was no power. So the reason that the, the church today in America is asleep is because we look at each other. We even refuse to call pastors, pastors, apostles, apostles, prophets, prophets, teachers, teachers. We refuse to call titles. We refuse to look at people and see them by the power they really have. But when this girl right here who has Jesus in her heart prays, I believe power comes out of her mouth. I believe power comes out of her mouth. I believe power comes out of his mouth. Why? Because he's got Jesus in him. And if I believe that what he says is true, God moves. If you want want mediocre common prayer then see each other as mediocre and common but if you want supernatural prayer to invade the church then we've got to begin to see each other the way God sees us that when you pray mountains move miracles happen the lame will walk the deaf will hear the blind eyes will be open praise God we've got to discern each other identify, recognize, and receive. So when I say that we're missing you, the people, the believers who no longer attend church because church hurt you and church fell, and I get it, it's a war. Church is a mess and we are broken, but we're trying and we need your help to, to impact this nation. We're gonna need every believer in America to flood every church in America. In Wales, there was a great revival that broke out and I'm closing with this, you can be seated. They were in famine, they were in trouble, they were in a mess. But what's called the Welsh Revival happened in 1904. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A man named Evan Roberts began to preach the word of God and the believers returned to the house. And when the believers returned to the house, then suddenly there was an outpouring. And then in the outpouring, the people went and got the lost, brought them in and praised Jesus. The whole city was turned around over a period of a year. Now, according to historians, that place was in famine. They were impoverished. They were out of stuff. There were shortages everywhere. There were, the prisons were overflowing. The courthouses had a line. There was prostitution and gambling everywhere. The, the whole nation was a mess. But by the end of 1905, this is what historians say, that the courthouses, the magistrate wouldn't even have to show up for work because there was no cases to try. All the prostitutes, this is what historians say, were now having Bible studies and the prosperity returned to the land. And the only shortage in the land that they talk about was the shortage of Bibles. They couldn't get enough Bibles into that place. That is what I'm talking about. If you want to see this nation turned around, then let us do what the word of God says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. I don't know what I'm doing, Lord, but you do. And that they will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. Now, how many know that our sins are already forgiven because Jesus died? And you're already declared the righteousness of God. So check that box. Praise God. And I will heal their land. Give the Lord some praise right now. Let me ask you a question. If you were to face eternity today, do you know what eternity looks like for you? And would you have peace with Father God? Here's the good news. God has already offered the free gift of salvation to anyone who would put their faith in his son Jesus. And if you're ready for that kind of life, stepping into a new life and out of an old life, then pray this prayer with me. Dear Father God, Forgive me of sin. And Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Son of God who died for sin and rose from the dead. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guess what? You just stepped into eternal life. Get involved in a good Bible-believing church. God bless you.